I never want to leave that chaos. I love it so much, but um, in order to be able to adult, to pay my bills, to um, make plans and and have some levels of consistency in my life, I needed to find a way to organize the chaos. And I think that's something that only recently am I feeling good and confident in saying that I am doing and not just aspiring to do. As she says, Cynthia Jimenez-Hicks loves the creative chaos and for the past decade has been riding some incredibly wild creative waves, often proving to fuel her love of the chaotic ride. We sat down together days after it was announced that she would be heading to the Stratford Festival this season in the role of Wendy in a brand new adaptation of the classic Peter Pan story. So it's hard to deny that since graduating from the National Theatre School in 2015, you have been riding some incredible waves. You've appeared across the country on stages of all sizes, hopping confidently from comedy to drama, throwing a bit of music in there. And dance, I suspect. At one end of the ocean, you have experienced the challenges of producing work so new that no one could be certain what was actually going to happen on opening night. And at the other, you have lived the wildest of adventures, hitching on to an internationally recognized sensation as a member of the San Francisco company of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, even jumping in for a time with the Broadway company as well. You've appeared in film and TV, and just last week, it was announced that you will not only be a part of the 2024 Stratford Festival Company for their upcoming season, but will be appearing in a title role as Wendy in the premiere production of Ella Hickson's Wendy and Peter, the latest iteration of the Berry Classic. As I said, lots of waves to ride. How are you keeping your head so confidently above the water? I love the assumptions in that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm doing a better job at keeping a front that my head is above the water. And, you know, I will admittedly give myself some credit that it is above the water, but it's not always. So is clocking, the way I do it is clocking when my when I am dipping under the water and saying, okay, what do I need to do right now? What do I need to take off my plate? Or what do I need to pause and do for myself to come back up? And how that happens is many things, but the highlights I will say are my wonderful husband, Cameron Kniedemann, who helps, he can often see what I'm sinking below the surface before I even know it's happening. And he'll help call me out on that. And he'll help say, what do you need to do for you today? Or what can I do for you today? And the other things are surrounding myself with a community that really lines up with my ethos and doesn't distract me from things that are going to take away from my journey, which means work colleagues, but ultimately it's often my nibblings, my my siblings, children, who I just mm. take and cuddle and help me feel human again. And are living very close at, exactly. to, to where you both are, exactly. are residing as well in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for the honesty of that. And I suspect we're going to dip further into that level of your vulnerability. I feel that you kind of ride that board as well, um, mm -hmm. willingly. 
But let me, if I can, just acknowledge right off the top that I'm talking to somebody who's just in her third decade of life, sounding like somebody (laughs) with a lot more depth of wisdom uh, about self-care, about balance, Mm. about how to manage that. Uh, mm-hmm. that crazy world that you they, that, yeah. that you're living in and, and within the world that we're all living in so talk to me about that where are you pulling your reserve of wisdom at such a young mm. age I think I'm pulling it from a wonderful therapist who I have been with and talking to for I think I'm coming on to eight years now And I think I'm very fortunate that I found a therapist who was such a good fit, but also she's someone who I've always had a long distance relationship with in that uh, her and I joke that we were doing virtual therapy sessions before it was cool. Because of the nature of my work being that I am rarely in in one city for more than two months, three if I'm lucky. And I knew right off the bat from starting sessions with her that I needed to have something grounding that, and I think was also important that it was not just my husband, like someone that I could be really consciously selfish with that was for me and an hour of every week that I'm taking. Uh, I love something that my therapist taught me was that time in therapy is just putting up a mirror to yourself and forcing yourself to be really honest with that mirror. And my favorite thing about virtual therapy, which I highly recommend, <laughs> is that I pick my setting that I do therapy in. So we'll make it a phone call versus like a video call. And I will tell her like, today I am taking a walk through the river valley for our session, or I've decided to sit in front of the lake today. And so forcing myself to be really, like I said, self-indulgent to find that honesty. And then I think it helps me put a filter through my life of grounding myself. And then for folks who might listen to this and might not know, I think it's also important context that you, Greg Dollar Coldman, were a wildly important part of my formative years as my drama teacher in high school. And I think back frequently on the mentors in my life of who I feel laid the foundation. And even my own mom is really great at, I don't think you know this, but she'll still sometimes say to me, like, I'll have a a hard lesson in life. And she'll say, you know, I think Greg taught you that when you were 16. And my mom helps remind me of that. And so really looking back that that cliche saying of like, looking back to look forward um, and coming back to my my roots of who helped establish me that and that helps ground me in what I'm doing. And now I've forgotten what the question is. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I think you've answered it brilliantly and you've, you've extended the metaphor uh, beyond the water because mm. you've really talked about the grounding and the yes. rootedness and how, I mean, as long as I have known you, I have known you to have an energy that is boundless <laughs> um, some might look at it and say it's too much. It's frenetic. Yes. It's, it's wild, Absolutely. but it is boundless. And perhaps it is this ability to to really find the the grounding nature. You've acknowledged your relationship with clearly a partner in life who um, adores you and wants to be able mm-hmm. to be that rock. 
Yes, and, yes, he keeps he me grounded in my one. chaos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suspect the chaos is something that he also um, loves. Yes, and you know what? I think that's a really good point in terms of collaborations in general, not just in like a partnership, but because I'm I'm recently been working with several different collaborators on several projects, and something that's come up quite frequently is this idea of here's my strengths, here's what I know I'm good at. And I'm working with you because your strengths are my weaknesses. And to me, a really important part that I only feel like I'm quite recently able to understand and articulate is how to be able to share that with collaborators without the ego of it. And because ultimately, I think that helps the work be stronger and and and. I'm not going to pretend I know how to do everything and that I'm good at doing everything, but I know what my strengths are and I know why I'm choosing a collaboration. And in that department, learning to be really meticulous with who I'm choosing to collaborate with to make sure that that's something that's fulfilling for both of us. Mm. Yeah. I suspect we'll come back to that in a bit. Yeah. Indulge too much yet. No, but there's something in that, Cynthia, that um, uh, that again is emblematic of taking control mm. where you can take control. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, in in a career in acting, where mm-hmm. is so many, I think, uh, struggle with the the reality that I'm waiting to be invited to the playground to play. I, I've got all these strengths and skills to play, but I, I'm hearing you say. I have begun some collaboration. So can we go there? Can we just yeah, touch in and, and ask? Uh, uh, I'm assuming some of those are collaborations that have been brought to you and some have been initiated by you. So mm-hmm. what's with all the lines in the water? I mean, take, <laughs> give, give me that metaphor again, because you've shared yes. that not so, not, yes. not so recently. This is a metaphor that someone else gave to me of being an artist and for me, especially being an actor who wears many different hats of my, my main hat is an actor hat, but I will often put on my producer hat, my choreographer hat, recently trying to push into a directing hat as well. Um, of course, a teaching and a mentorship hat. And so <laughs> I'm combining metaphors, but to come back to the actual metaphor here is that as an artist, I am a little fishing boat, a little boat floating in whatever body of water, maybe the type of body of water changes depending on the season. And every project I have is a fishing line that I've cast out. I don't always know which ones are going to bite or if they're worth my time, but I cast them out anyways to see what happens because in this industry, it's not going to happen if you're not casting out your fishing fishing lines. And I think the other side of that is that it's also really important for me to know and maybe this is actually the answer to your very first question of how to keep your head above water is I reel back in the lines if I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I've had, especially I think since the pandemic, um, had to really consciously think and ask myself, do I have too many lines out? Is the line that's out right now over there, is that not serving me anymore? Is it not what I thought it would be? Do I need to bring it back in? Great question. 
Mm-hmm. And then between the pandemic recovery and the film industry going through the strike this past year, I had I found myself a few months ago in a place of having no lines out. And it was a beautiful feeling. And I don't think I've been in that place for a long time. Like we said, I'm someone who's very chaotic and I'm constantly, I'm such an extrovert and constantly chasing a next project and finding friends to work with. And I think it was really important for me to to discover the peace of having no lines out. And then I think it's now felt very intentional which lines I'm casting out and why. And that seems to be the journey of riding the waves as an artist right now. And I can reel that in just a little. Please. I appreciate your context is as a professional artist. Mm-hmm. When we take the metaphor though and 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 open it up, yeah, it feels like it is a value to any one of us. Yes. That that there's something very healthy about that, that we are mm-hmm. looking and hoping for and uh, not just sitting back in the mm-hmm. boat and mm-hmm. you know hanging yes. out for the the ride, but we're yes. we're engaged, but yeah. we also are demonstrating the amount of self awareness that I'm already hearing in this conversation yes. to be able to say and not just is this line no longer helping me, but how is it? Yes, yes, exactly. I think that any of us who have chosen this profession have a natural love and intrigue for that chaos. I think we wouldn't be in this industry if we didn't love that idea because the chaos of collaborations and projects is so inherent. I think that once I understood this boat metaphor, it helped me organize the chaos. I never want to leave that chaos. I love it so much, but um, in order to be able to adult to pay my bills to um, make plans and and have some levels of consistency in my life I needed to find a way to organize the chaos and I think that's something that only recently am I feeling good and confident in saying that I am doing and not just aspiring to do mm-hmm. and then carving out the choices mm. that they that they hope are the right choices to be able to get mm-hmm. to shore safely with the rush of adrenaline and a sense of uh, accomplishment um, yeah. and recognizing that just like you might pull in a line and have a little guy on the end of it and say, yeah, no, that one's a, I'm going to toss mm-hmm. that back in. So too might the biggest appearance of a wave flatten out and yes. you got to wait for the next and the next and the next. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That feels painfully accurate Mm. um and also in the last year of my life we ended up moving out to the beaches in Toronto with the lake right in front of us and I think that gives me a really nice daily reminder of seeing the water every day being next to any type of water is just so exciting and so calming I know that a lot of this conversation is more of a reflection on me but what I like about this exchange right now is that I'm going to take this as a reminder moving forward after today of using that for myself so thank you for that you're welcome in the intro I set up the sort of the two ends of of the spectrum you have worked Mm -hmm. with small passionate independent companies (laughs) who were just trying to get to the end Mm -hmm. of the week and Mm -hmm. to have something 
you know, to open the doors and invite people mm-hmm. to come and see. When you think about uh, some of those projects, can can I ask you and put you on the spot to choose mm-hmm. one and just just share a little bit about what the learning journeys about that have been because I know you I know that you have picked up courses and workshops and master classes <laughs> and you are a constant sponge for new mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. take us into one of your choosing and to be clear you're asking about an indie world project correct yeah yeah mm-hmm. something that you really you were able to put your fingerprint on yeah I think the obvious choice to me is uh, my project Tune to A, uh, which has been a collaboration with a wonderful artist, Carly Meese. And um, and whether he liked it or not, Cam, my husband, ended up being a part of it too. He didn't really have a choice. <laughs> and maybe that's part of the lesson that we'll get to. Um, uh, Carly is a wonderful uh, multidisciplinary artist who lives in Edmonton. And um her and I actually went to junior high together, which we, we didn't know each other very well at the time, but we reconnected maybe 10 years later uh, through the theater community. And Carly has cerebral palsy. And we connected simply because she made a post on Facebook, the magic of Facebook, about advocating for some much needed accessibility resources in a venue during a fringe one year. And long story short, the accessibility built for this space was not done well. She made a Facebook post about it. And I reached out to her just asking to talk because I was curious what that meant. And one coffee date turned into a theater for young audiences play that we ended up writing grants for and uh, produced our first small scale version of last year. And the lessons I received from that journey were, I learned the steps that it takes to find the intersection of arts and advocacy And I think my favorite artists are people who have really strong voices about what they're advocating for and the changes they want to see in the world. And it's really easy to have those conversations and talk about it at dinner parties and at opening nights. But to actually see a project through from start to finish, and I'm even delicately saying finish because I don't think we're finished yet. We're we're finished our our short-term goals, but we still have bigger goals with it. That project is what forced me to learn how to be a producer. Um, I always had a lot of producer qualities in me in terms of arts administration and gathering people together for events, but to have to be a producer starting from scratch and assemble a team, again, coming back to collaborators that feel really good in my gut and surrounding myself with people who are going to Um, share the same ethos in our work, who had the same belief system of the accessibility and the arts that we all wanted to fight for and see us do better on as a community. That is, I think, and will always be um, a life-changing project for myself. 
The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. I know there's (laughs) going to be people that heard, oh, Harry Potter, tell Mm -hmm. me all about that. We're not going to go to the tell me all about that. That's not what these (laughs) conversations are all about. We don't have enough time for that. (laughs) But I I am fascinated to know, and maybe the entry point is the same question. So Mm -hmm. sure, share share with us how how that all laid out. But I really want to know what you, how you grew and what you are coming away with or, or, or came away with from yeah. that experience. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I think that sigh might be everything you need to know. Okay. I think um, I'm torn right now between talking about and elaborating on the advocacy part of my artistry that we were just talking about versus how to survive as an actor in a big institution. Because to me, those two paths, um, they are so inherently intertwined, but at the same time, I often need to separate them in order to simply put in order to pay the bills like and um and so in terms of a big show like that I think the fun preface to it is I grew up a Harry Potter fan yeah you sure did I sure did you probably know that Halloween Um, after Halloween (laughs) exactly exactly um and I also don't want to shy away from the complicated politics that come with the Harry Potter brand right now. Um, I think that that's an important thing to acknowledge while recognizing that it's not the intention of this conversation. So I'll put a pin in that. that. Of course, of course. But to me, it's, it's also a very important part of uh, how I had to approach my time there. Mm. And, um, and so again, sorry to go back to you before that, as someone who grew up a lover of Harry Potter and um, I saw it on Broadway with our dear friend, Ben Wheelwright, who, for those who don't know, was also in the same drama class with myself mm-hmm. and Greg. <laughs> and um, I saw him in the original Broadway cast and I knew they were auditioning in Toronto. I went through an extensive Toronto audition process, which again, Greg was part of because I had to leave a teaching gig to do the callback. So Greg filled in for me as a teacher, like whether you like it or not, DC, you're stuck with me. Um, And so, um, and then the beautiful waves of the highs and lows of this are that I didn't get into the production originally back in 2019. I did not get it. And, um, and I was, devastated oh my goodness to be so close to what felt like a dream come true and to know that I had a great shot at it because I'd survived I think it was nine rounds of auditions um and then two and a half years later mid-pandemic we my agent and I got a call out of nowhere that there was an opening in the San Francisco production Um, I think at the time there were about six productions of Harry Potter, sit down productions all over the world. 
and I just happened to be on file from the video footage they had from auditions. And for whatever reason, thank you, whoever was involved for advocating for me, I made it on the list for the San Francisco time and, or rather the San, San Francisco production and jumped into that production with quite literally, I think it was only six or seven weeks notice of, um, wow. yeah, to move to a new country, to a new city. Uh, and funny enough, I got the phone call while Cam and I were driving to Halifax because I was filming a TV show in Halifax and we were in the middle of nowhere New Brunswick I'm amazed I even had service when my agent called me to tell me I booked Harry Potter and how do you feel about moving to San Francisco in six weeks and I thought oh I'm on a road trip to Halifax because I'm filming a TV show out there and my husband and I were gonna adventure in our car and go camping for a few weeks for fun and um, and instead, we had to rush back to Toronto afterwards and empty our home and move down to San Francisco. Um, yeah, the dream come true element of that happened so fast. And when I think, when I retell the story, it feels like it went from the lowest low to the highest high in wow. those couple years. And the year of being on the show itself, the lesson, to actually answer your question, my lesson from that year was learning how to take care of my body and my mind while working and performing at the highest level I'd ever had to do. From a physical perspective, it was a three and a half hour long show. And I had one of the tracks where I think I had something like 25 weight changes which also meant full costume changes, which yeah. also meant like full tights and shoes changes. And um, I just had one of those tracks that was like in the ensemble doing all the fun big ensemble pieces, but also doing every other scene change, but also getting several fun cameo moments, most notably being Moaning Myrtle at the end of Act yeah. One. <laughs> and so to survive a show for three and a half hours, eight times a week, we went down to a few show less shows a week by the end um and how to eat how to sleep how to exercise around a show like that how to structure my days outside of the theater to make sure that I could handle the three and a half hours on stage and even though I wasn't quote unquote on stage the whole time I think I only realistically had maybe 15 minutes of downtime spread out over wow. the show yeah um and then to shift to the mental side of taking care of myself in that to move to a foreign place, to not know anybody in a new place. Um, my husband was there for most of it. He was in and out. Um, I don't think I could have done that. I don't think I would have survived it if he wasn't there. Every night during my break in act two, I had this 10 minute break where I would text him what I want for dinner and he would have it ready for me when I came home. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> what, like the amount that that did for me was, I wouldn't have survived it. And just what it takes to be in a project that long. I think something mm. I didn't appreciate before, because that was my first time running a show for more than a month or two. And I think in my experience of being in shows more like the regional or even indie scales where we have shorter runs is that, oh, I can put my life on hold because I need to preserve all my energy and adrenaline for this show. You know, it's a three week run. Everything can take a pause till I'm done this. That wasn't possible when you're doing a show like this for a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
So how do I show up 100% to work and try to have a life outside of it? And on those shows, it's not like you just show up at seven o'clock and you're working in the evenings. You know, we would get there around 5.30 for a group warm up beforehand. And for the first half of the contract, we were in rehearsals and or understudy rehearsals during the days. So balancing the show consuming my life, being a dream come true, while recognizing that this is the hardest thing I will probably ever do in this capacity. Um, And then it closed early and I was again heartbroken when we shut down early and what it meant to say goodbye to a dream come true. It's been about a year now since I finished that contract and I feel like I'm only just finding peace with saying goodbye to it. It was a really hard year of accepting that it was over. Um, As someone who grew up a Harry Potter kid, getting to dance around in Hogwarts with a wand, having the ability to like cast a spell and actual fire come out the other side was just, it was so, I was so proud of myself. I don't think that, I think there's a, the insecure part of me didn't think that that would ever happen. And in some ways it still feels like it was a dream. And sometimes I have to say like, whoa, did that really happen? And then I remember the wonderful friends and people I met along the way. And it's now such a huge part of who I am. And I think it's taken this year of me recovering from the show to actually realize what lessons I was learning during it. I had no idea. In the moment I was in such survival mode to get through this week, get through this moment. My ankle is hurting me this week. How can I survive the show? Should I call out? Should I take a break? Do I use my sick days now or do I push through? Is it not that bad of an injury? And now that I'm coming to my piece of it and I'm having to shift my mindset into another big project, I'm able to actually say, oh, those were the lessons I learned on that show. Now I know how to apply them. Okay. Yeah. And it takes us right back to when I remarked at the front end about the wisdom of, well, how does a a 30 something year old Mm -hmm. still relatively, and, and, you know, (laughs) you're not a baby in the industry, but you're still young. You've got, you've got a long road ahead. If you so choose to continue, how do you, how do you, how do you pull that together? And you've also just added that for, for what was to be a year, but probably felt like three, even though it closed mm-hmm, early, mm-hmm. you had the opportunity yeah. to not just be, you know, go daily to the gym of the theater, but to the gym of your living mm-hmm. and to create practices yes. and to practice those practices uh, in order to, to yeah. contain all that you needed to contain. And, and it yeah. will be interesting now to see how you, you know, how, how you can modulate that when you know, you've got, okay, a nine month yes. versus a nine week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I I just finished a project out in Halifax. I was at Neptune Theater doing Play That Goes Wrong. That was my first production I'd done since Harry Potter as an actor in the same kind of capacity of just doing a rehearsal into a show. And every day of that project, which was only just last month, every day I went, Oh, that's what I learned from Harry Potter. Like, and it, and it, it, so I, I had to physically practice it to realize it. And so I'm glad that I had that as like a nice little um, short-term experience of that before I go into another long contract like Stratford. And also the older I get, 
the more I want to have nothing to do with theater when I'm not at work. I think because I grew up such a like die hard theater kid, like it was everything to me. It was all I consumed in my books, in any media that I would watch. Um, it was my entire identity. And I think as I can feel really proud of the fact that I can check a lot of bucket list items off of my my bucket list in life, I'm starting to go, whoa, what am I interested in that's not just theater and entertainment? And what's coming Very, up? A part of me is making some life goals for the next five to 10 years and wanting to really embrace the film and TV world once I'm once I'm done with Wendy at Stratford. Um, and I've been planting seeds for film and TV, especially since the pandemic when we had no theater. Um, but now I'm really consciously trying to learn about the film world. And so now I'm I'm watching TV and movies that are teaching me a lot in that capacity. Um, and I sort of feel like there's a part of me that after this year, I feel like I achieved a lot of the goals that I wanted to achieve as a theater artist. And I'm certainly not saying no to theater, but I'm recognizing like, okay, what else is on my horizon right now? Um, and so I've been taking some classes in directing for film and TV. Um, and I've been working as a second assistant director on sets over the last few months, which has been a really fun new world. I'm sort of learning that, um, being a second AD on a set is basically being a stage manager for film people. Um, and I'm learning where my experience as an actor helps me be a good second AD. Um, and, um, and now I'm realizing that I'm on a deep train of thought that I don't remember what started me on this, yeah, but that's was, where I'm at. And let's just honor that. Yeah. Yeah. To allow yourself the gift of being in that deep train of thought. We've covered a lot of ground here, mm. uh, but you mentioned community. Yes. You mentioned specifically your neighborhood of community, family yeah. community, uh, and how and how significant that is and vital to our well-being and to your mm -hmm. well-being, certainly in that. So tell me a little bit about how, how you have been as intentional as you have mm -hmm. about finding, nurturing. Yeah building community not just community of a particular artistic ensemble because i know yep. that that's also you know totally. we've, we've, we've spoken to that but community yeah. your yeah. people a few years ago i took this workshop with the i believe it was called the amy project amy standing for amy artists mentoring youth and they guided us through this wonderful exercise of tangibly mapping out mentors in your life um, and again, I'll put you on the spot a bit, Greg, because you came up as a mentor in my life in many capacities when I was doing this chart. And it was a wonderful exercise that kind of forces you to say, um, what are my skill sets and who taught me them? And then you look at that list of mentors who taught them to you. And it's just a nice way to reflect on it and to see this list of um, mentors in your life. And and then the next set of the next phase of the exercise is to think through, 
Is there anyone that you think is missing from that list? Who do you want to add to that list? And how are you going to find that next mentor in your life that you that you want to learn from? Um, and then the next step after that is what skills can you do as a mentor for someone else and find a mentee and do and pass down that mentorship? And I have a lot of big opinions on the concept of training in this industry. I mm -hmm. have a lot of big opinions on theater schools that I'm not going to bore us with today. because That's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I do deeply believe in is that mentorship is the only consistent training in this industry. And being really conscious about who my mentors are and what I'm asking out of them and what I'm trying to learn from them and then doing the same thing to passing that down. Um, and to me, that's the most exciting part of community, mm -hmm. um, um, which is interesting. Like, as I'm saying that out loud, I'm seeing a very linear, like up and down concept here. And I think between that, the like, maybe the question that you were actually asking me was around my colleagues who are my collaborators. And um, when it comes to my collaborators now, there's those classic sayings around like every contract you do either has to do be something you love, something that's paying really well, or something, what am I missing? What's the third one? We focused a lot on what you're going to learn and grow. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like there's like payment people or uh, play. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, in that vein, um, because I know that one of my skills is casting out nets or casting out the lines, I now, I don't stop casting out the lines but I don't promise them all. I cast out lines and make sure I get feelers. And I say, if we work to work together, here's what I bring. What do you want from me here? And depending on the relationship and on the context of the project, here's how much I would need to charge to make it worth my time. Or here I am very consciously investing my time in you. Um, because Toronto rent is expensive and I wish I could work for free for everything and everyone, but I also need to be realistic about how many hours I have in a day. Yep. So that's where the business part of me really takes over. Um, but I think that then extends into the like up and down mentorship menteeship, where if I could, I would offer my mentorship hours endlessly to the young people in my life and emerging artists, because they give me so much inspiration and um, I love seeing their perspectives that they bring fresh into the industry. At the same time, a new step for me is recognizing that I don't have that many hours in my life to give away. And I'm currently very consciously working on one specific mentorship who was a wonderful artist who approached me and he approached me with a grant idea. For a mentorship mm. so we wrote a grant together and we received the grant and now we're doing weekly coachings um where i can fulfill the want and need uh, in my heart to be a mentor Wonderful. but also make sure that i'm getting paid for it because yeah. i need to pay bills <laughs> yep. and so i think that's 
very much a new step of recognizing that um, I will always be available for my community, but I might only be able to give one hour when I wish I could give 50 and mm. knowing where I'm at in my life and when I can afford to give what. And it comes back to that creating, creating the vessel that mm-hmm. keeps you balanced, finding exactly. the ground, enjoying the power of the water. Yes. I feel like we could talk for hours and, we could. and, I, and I know. I'm so anxious <laughs> you put so many pins in, but I, I as we move towards closing, yeah. <laughs> I am struck by the memory of a conversation that we had after you graduated high school. Okay. You had, you had intentionally chosen to take that gap year for a bunch of reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. During which you did, though, what I, I, I thought was so remarkable, which is essentially set your own syllabus, your own mm-hmm. learning adventure. It, 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 you know, you pers- continued to pursue performance and training opportunities to teach, to choreograph, mm-hmm. to, to, to be a mentor, to contribute to your local communities, um, and, and to work, obviously, mm-hmm. to make some money. But when the time had come for you to cast your, yourself into auditioning for those theater uh, schools, mm-hmm. I, as I recall, you fixed your mind on four serious options, mm-hmm. and, and you threw the lines out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And damn it, if you didn't get a bite, a big bite and an, and an invitation for not one, but all four mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. resulting in, in the dilemma of choice. Um, <laughs> it's always a great dilemma, but it demands, yes. uh, it demands some real consideration, but what's the best choice for you? So yes. as you toiled between stepping away from a route in musical theater, mm-hmm. formally something you mm-hmm. had so committed and, and, and were, in dire worry you were going to lose and never sing and dance again. Yeah. I seem to remember you found your head full of contradictory advice from every mentor you could <laughs> buy a tea for. Yes. And in that moment when your head was so full of voices, I remember asking you, what was your heart saying? Mm. And you took a breath and it felt like our conversation was over. Mm as you came to realize that you had missed the truth and the power of your heart. So my big question here is what does your heart know now that your head really depends on? Beautiful question. I'm slightly distracted by my love of your phrase Dilemma of choice, because I think I need to write that down for the title of my autobiography one day. (laughs) I think what my heart knows now that my head depends on is doing the work for me. Um, And by that, I think I mean... Everything from when I I have my producer brain on and I want to be juggling 17 projects um, and knowing that I don't have time and capacity for that and thinking, which are the three that are for me and which are the three that will serve my ethos best? To the really like visceral physical experience of 
when I'm actually acting and in my performer brain, whether I'm in front of a camera or on stage, um, trusting my heart and like opening my heart up to the work because I know I can get very caught up in like the business intellectual side of this industry. And I sometimes forget why I'm doing it all. And then I find myself on stage and I go, whoa, hmm. how, how do I do this again? Like <laughs> I, and then I have to think like, cool, how do I open my heart up and do this for me? Because I love playing in the world. Um, my husband ends up being my self-tape coach for all of our self-tapes at home. And we have this wonderful little exercise that we have to do at the start of each tape where I hate love that he's my coach because he's available to me at any hour of the day if I want to do a self-tape at midnight or at a reasonable hour. <laughs> but also not only is he a good coach, but he knows me so well that he can call me out on things. And he knows when I'm when my heart's not there. And he knows how to help me find my heart in front of a camera. And we have this image of, you know, when you get a new cell phone or like any new electronics and there's that clear, perfect, pretty plastic layer on it that you get to like, and it's very satisfying when you pull that off. <laughs> Cam has pointed out to me that I'm really great at keeping that plastic layer on. And that's, that is a big part of how I survive being an extrovert in the world. But when it comes to being a performer, he and he will literally make me take my hands in front of my face and pull it off and say, like, you just got to trust that it's there. You can remove it. You know, it's there. What are you hiding from? And so that's where I have to, like, peel off the plastic layer off my new cell phone <laughs> and, like, be there with my heart. Um and I'm not going to lie, it's it's terrifying every time, no matter mm. how many shows I've done. If anything, sometimes it gets scarier. And I'm already feeling a little bit of like jittery anxiety right now just talking about it mm -hmm. because I know that I've had a slow year as a performer right now. So I haven't exercised that muscle a ton, a ton in 2023. And once I start Wendy in 2024, I'm going to have to peel that layer off almost every day. Mm. and mentally preparing myself for what that means um so yeah that's mm. that's where my heart is and I know it'll be there when I need it as scary as mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. but I know it's there because when you peel that off you get to you get to connect with that new operating system every mm -hmm. day, every exactly every performance and I I love that it came back I didn't I, there was no, no intentional leading when I brought up heart that your rock, that Cam was going to come back Always. as the external representation mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. heart. And maybe mm -hmm. that, maybe the chaos of the water and the head and the rock and the heart is mm -hmm. also a part of the powerful balance that you, yeah. that you have found. And, and, and what a wonderful treasure to have, to be able to celebrate that, that relationship. And, and yeah. I, I mean, I, I know Cam only through you. But hmm. as I, you know, as I said to him at the top of this taping before he left, <laughs> we need we need more Cam we in do. the world. We totally need. <laughs> more. So, Absolutely. Uh, I can't wait for him to listen to this. He has no idea that half of this was about him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he might. But yeah. <laughs> I also know Cam well enough that uh, that it's not about Cam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Cynthia, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for 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 saying yes and jumping in and and bringing head and heart uh, and, and sharing sharing who you are and who you're becoming and continuing yeah. to become in the world. Thank you. Thanks for being one of my uh, pillars in that foundation. Deeply grateful that it was that it was possible. <laughs> The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space. <laughs>